0: Hi, welcome to Bursting the Bubble. My name is Tasha.
1: And I'm Ornlin. And today we actually are going to have a very special episode.
0: Yes, today we are having a takeover episode, and it is going to be taken over by a few students here who are in the STEM field or the STEM track. Now, I've been thinking about women in STEM since I was part of a conversation about. A few people who are trying to start a women in STEM club here at Barrie, but they were shut down because some people did not see the need for it or, or um, find it a, a, a va- find a valid reason to start a whole other organization. They asked them instead to be a part of Empower, which is the um, women's I guess, club, in- club here, uh-huh. yeah, at Barrie. But it, I think, having having two separate clubs, one is necessary because their experience. Is is different and is is valid. So I wanted to give them a platform to speak, and because neither Orlin nor I have any sort of um, relevant information to speak on um, in relation to um, being in the STEM fields, especially Orlin, um, <laughs> I decided to reach out to some some uh, people that I know here on campus that uh, are in in. Various STEM fields, and I reached out to Sewell Abdullah, a sophomore biochem major. I reached out to junior Jasmine Hollander, a um, animal, science. animal science major with a she has a, a chemistry minor as well, I believe,
1: and a, psych- and, and a psychology minor
0: as well. And yeah. psychology, yes. And senior um, Hars, Harsh Singh, who has is in the biochem um, track as well or pre-med track, but biochem major. And they ta- had the great honor, the great pleasure of speaking to Dr. Tema Monroe-White, who is uh, in the business department here at Berry. She teaches, I know, um, data analytics, a very, very feared class among students here, because apparently it's... Uh,
1: a GPA killer. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to just call it as it is. A
0: GPA killer. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they had um, just candid conversation about their experiences as women of color, actually,
1: in the STEM field, so. And I I feel like this is a very important um, episode just because, you know, Barry's talking about diversity and inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, like, what their experiences will um, really exemplify is, like, the diversity and inclusion aspect of this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, How um, for those individuals who found that it's not important for Mm -hmm. them to have their own separate branch of women in STEM because... Mm -hmm. They just punch them with empowerment. It just kind of goes to exemplify why it's even more needed, right? And so, um, like Tasha mentioned, we don't have, um, Tasha and I don't really have that experience in STEM. I dabble. As a math minor, but you know, <laughs> really? that. but also I I don't want to I don't want to pursue mathematics right like mm-hmm. it's not something to do I use it rather than a tool to you know to help me with my social sciences but these are these are very um, these are four powerful women um, these are three of them are pursuing very you know very um, fields that relate a lot into like doctors and you know um, veterinary school and so. Um, it's, it's really interesting to hear their experiences, specifically given that is um, a predominantly white institution.
0: So without further ado,
1: here's the episode. Enjoy.
2: Identity is intersectional. Our identities, me, Jasmine, Harz, go beyond just that we are women. We are women of color, specifically women of color in the STEM field at a predominantly white institution. So that's why today we're going to talk about our experiences and feelings as women of color in STEM. Hello, my name is Sibal Abdullah. My pronouns are she and her. I'm a sophomore here at Berry College and my major is biochemistry. A little background about me is I was born in Jordan, so the Middle East, and I moved here to the United States in 2009.
3: Hey, my name is Jasmine Hollander. My pronouns are she, her, and I am half white, half Pakistani. I'm a senior animal science major with a pre-vet concentration and a double minor in chemistry and psychology.
4: Hi, I'm harse Singh, but people call me Harsh for short. I go by she and her and I'm a senior biochemistry slash pre-med major with a family studies minor. Fun facts about me, I'm Asian Indian and I was born here in rural Georgia.
3: Okay, so we will also have guest speakers. Towards the, we will have a guest speaker towards the end of the episode, Dr. Monroe White, um, who is a professor here at Barry that specializes in data analytics. So I came here to Barry because it is known for its pre vet program and provides an immersive, hands on animal experience. Um, I'm also on a scholarship that will enable me to graduate without having to pay back hella loans before I take on even more for vet school.
4: I came here to Barry College because its pre med track is quite popular for undergraduate students from med schools such as Mercer. I always hear good things about Barry students. Additionally, being in a Whitehead Scholars Program helped me on my pre medical journey. Without Whitehead, I don't think I could be able to attend Barry or even have the idea to attend med school.
2: Hi, I came here Barry due to the numerous of reasons: the small class number, the environment, and the community that Barry has to offer, and one of, like, the, the most important reason for me is the payment track here they have uh, Barry and how much of all the opportunities that it has to offer that I know I can't find elsewhere.
4: Since I'm from Bainbridge, which the town is predominantly white and quite worse than Rome, this is deep in deep fried South Georgia with like vocal groove. I think for me. There was like about four um, people of color at my high school, and coming here to Barrie, there isn't much of a difference I see in my high school versus Barrie College, so I thought my experience was pretty
2: normal. Versus Jasmine and I, we both actually went to the same high school in Atlanta, and it was definitely a very diverse school versus coming here to Barrie, which in my experience um, coming here was not very welcoming at all. When I would introduce myself as being from the Middle East or that I am a Muslim, I feel like they become uneasy and they just start to have a blank face on them, seeing, seeing me as a threat, as a terrorist. This is something that not only have I experienced with like the student body, but as well with parents and faculty.
3: Yeah, coming to this school was definitely a culture shock or lack thereof. Um, we attended a high school with a wide range of identities and cultures represented both in the faculty and in the students. Um, Barry, however, is 80% white, and sometimes I literally feel like I'm regressing here, um, as my experience have become very whitewashed and monotonous. Not only that, but the few people of color that do attend the school frequently don't even have, like, they are just trying to get through school and graduate. They don't have any sort of pride and I mean, I know I don't, in attending the school, and we're just trying to get our degree. Um, But in general, Barry doesn't have a great retention rate to begin with, but it's particularly bad for people of color. I mean, just my freshman year alone, I knew of at least five people that transferred out just trying to get away from here. Um, But as you can imagine, at this school, that is 80% white. Um, Us three, we are frequently the only brown girls in our classes. For many people here, we are the first brown girls they've even actually interacted with. Um, so I was raised Muslim and frequently feel the pressure to make sure that my heritage is being represented correctly by white professors and other white students. Um, many students here just grew up extremely sheltered, and I can't really fault them for that, but they just did not grow up like exposed to different levels of diversity, and they always have like a million questions about me and my culture. And there's always, like, a distinct disconnect in, like, the level of understanding um, about what the professors preach to be true about various, like, Middle Eastern countries versus what is actually the case.
2: Yeah, I would absolutely agree with Jasmine. I do feel that pressure. I feel like on the daily. Um in the beginning with most of my white friends that I became friends with, um, it was always like the same questions like, oh, were are women actually oppressed or why do you not wear the hijab or like what does your dad even think about it? And for me, I do feel like it's my responsibility to be like, oh, like, no, we're not oppressed or that's just that's just a lot of stereotypes and things that you see on t- uh, media that kind of puts our culture and my religion in this negative tone. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like, I do feel that responsibility. However, there are times where it's like, I feel like I have to explain myself and my culture and why I believe in it. And I feel like in that terms, it's like, I don't need to do that. And especially when somebody's like interrogating me versus like wanting to understand me and like how like my upbringings. And for me here with like Barry, there are students who actually are interested versus I think the other half is just more like they're questioning me and kind of like, I feel like it's degrading me as like a woman in like yeah. my background.
3: I usually don't mind educating other people. It's just at some point, you know, you got to do your own research and it's not up to me to make sure that you're educated, you know? Exactly. Yeah, and, and I don't know. I would like to think that everyone's coming from like a place of good intent, but you never know. For um, me,
4: I would agree as well. And since I'm part of the Whitehead Scholarship um, for Christian, Christian women, I get a lot of questions asked, like, why am I the only Christian in the family since they want to know how I came to faith in Christ? And since most of my mom's side family is Sikh, they kind of, like, I'm um, judging, oh, why aren't you converting your family and so, stuff? But religion supposed to be peaceful, right? So I do get frustrated at that kind of aspect.
2: Um, yeah, I would agree. For me, it's, like, also, like, when talking about my religion, it's, like, I I believe, like, in God. And I feel like that's, what, like, most everything. We believe in, like, peace and love. And, yeah. like, I think sometimes where it's, like, troubles because I feel like I don't have the whole information about my religion. Mm-hmm. So, I feel like I'm not even giving out, like, the best advice or yeah. about my religion. And that kind of puts in more, like, I can't tell you much, but you should definitely do your own Dang, research. I mm-hmm. feel that. I think
3: it's interesting that all three of us, um... I don't know, like, our religious perspective is different than our parents. Yeah. Like, that, I feel like, is a unique experience, especially at this college, honestly. Because, like, everyone here is just born raised Christian. They don't go off the path, figure themselves out. But, like, here we are.
2: Yeah. And then for me, I think it's also with, like, I feel like I'm mixed with the American culture versus mm-hmm. my parents are not. So they, my parents definitely have completely different views than right. they, yeah. what I have. I mean, it's um, a
3: generation difference. It's a culture difference. Yeah. Um, so, another topic we would like to discuss is our experiences, um, with professors. Um, I'm gonna let Sabal get started with
2: that. Okay. Um, yeah, so, to be honest, I'm not gonna disclose some names. I'm still here a sophomore here at Big College. (laughs) So Uh, I still have a few years (laughs) left, so I don't want to say anything. You don't want to
3: name drop. Yeah, but I would say,
2: I, at times, I, like, for me, I freaking love my advisor. She's amazing. Um, however, with I feel like with other faculty, I feel like they question me. And I don't know. It's just like they're not listening to me. They're like, in a way, just like, oh, like oh, this is what you need to do. But then it's like, but I want to do this. Like, how do I get this? Or like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I feel like you're supposed to be advising me and giving me all my options. versus I feel like, I don't have all my options. I feel like I'm just kind of rolling through. And I, I have friends who got fucked over in their schedule. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like sucks that they have to take extra credit hours when they could have been done by now. Um,
3: yeah, I feel like advisors, especially if they have tenure, like if they've been around for a long time, particularly here, then they kind of get into the habit of just delegating the same schedule and like telling people the same thing just because that's what they've always done and that's what's always worked. But like... Like you said, it's really easy to get fucked over if you don't do your own, like, creative process of, like, figuring out your schedule and stuff, because, like, I don't know, as a pre-vet major, there's a embedded minor, like, an embedded chemistry minor, Mm -hmm. and so my schedule is stacked as it is, but, like, I'm not a chemistry person. (laughs) I'm, like, an animal person, and, like, I want to go into animal behavior, and so I really did not want my chemistry minor, but it's embedded and it's required and so I got a double minor in psychology and my advisor was like you're not going to graduate in four years and then add on top of that the pandemic like really fucked over my schedule in terms of like my like how well I was doing in the class and then just throw that on top of it I had to do some real creative planning to like make sure I graduate on time and graduate in four years because there's no way I'm taking an extra year not at this private school you know it's not worth my money. Um,
2: Yeah for me I do feel like I do feel alone at like most times here at Barry It's like I feel like I have to go through things by myself, and I kind of get it. Like you're in college, you need to be independent now, kind of. Yeah, but it's a but, small school. Yeah, they're supposed yeah. to be there for, That's us. True, but, I mean, and it me.
3: sucks that they're not. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, I don't know about y'all's classes, but I would like to talk about like the demographics of your science classes. Definitely. So um, as a pre-vet major, all my classes are white girls. <laughs> They're all white horse girls. Um, I'll call them out, of Um And so I never am really in a male dominated environment. Um, I mean, frequently I'm like the only brown girl, but like that, that ain't nothing new here. <laughs> But, I don't know, what are y'all's classes like? Because, like, my, the thing is, with my classes, there it's, like, only pre-vet students because it's such a large major here. So, like, I don't know. Are there more? I assume there's more guys in y'all's classes.
4: For my senior biochemistry graduate classes, there's actually more girls than guys. Which yeah. I found really interesting. Yeah. But for, like, the medical um, field in general, for us seniors who are going to med school, there's more guys than girls. And I think it's due to that assumption, um... My uh, pre-med advisor, Ashley makes because he kind of assumes, like, with, like, women,
2: like, oh, you be. want to be a nurse. Yes. And, like, it's yes. so annoying. Yeah, it's like, I got big dreams. Yeah. Like, for me, I get so furious because, like, every time I feel like, oh, yeah, I want to go through the pre-med track, they always, yeah. always jump to, oh, you're going to be a nurse. And I'm like, Huck, no, no, I want to be, like, a doctor. Yeah. It'll have yeah. a higher position. And, like, for me, it kind of sucks because, like, not even here at Barry but, like, also, like, I think, with, like, the culture or, like, America. It's, like, I feel like women are always put down. And I feel oh, like, yeah. and, like, it could be, like, something simple as this. Like, it probably doesn't, it, I would say it doesn't mean much, but it's obviously not on a higher level. However, like, yeah. that small thing can matter so much. And, like, for me, especially, like, being young, where it's, like, oh, yeah, I want to be in the medical field. They always assumed it's a nurse. And for me, it's, like, which kind of makes me, pushes me to want to be a doctor and be in a higher yeah, position. Your, where it's that's like, your motivation. Okay, yeah. yeah. I feel that. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay,
3: so our guest speaker for today is Dr. Tama Monroe-White. So although we only met Dr. White yesterday, I'm already fascinated by her work. Uh, First of all, this woman is smart as hell. Not only did she get her PhD from Georgia Tech, she also attended Howard University where she got her master's and her bachelor's degree. Um, She's also been doing research for over 10 years with a focus on science policy and using data analytics to understand what inhibits and what motivates marginalized groups of people at the systemic level within the STEM field. Um, but I'm going to let her give a more thorough explanation of her research. But if you attend Barry, you may know Dr. White from the business department. She teaches the information systems course as well as the data analytics course. Without further ado, here's Dr. White. Hello. How are you doing?
5: I'm great. Thank you.
3: Um, so really quick, do you want to give us like a pre a brief overview
5: of your research endeavors? Sure. So um Currently, I have a couple of projects that I'm actively working on. One um, is uh, relates to women of color in STEM or tech entrepreneurship. I'm um, very interested in understanding the experiences of successful women of color, marginalized women of color in particular, and their journeys um, to, as founders um, as they you know seek out funds and support and and venture capital for their businesses, and also. Um, understanding the challenges that they might have faced along their journey. Right. So um, so that's one of them. Okay. Well, uh, another, <laughs> another project that I'm working on um, has to do with diversifying data science fields um, and getting more um, women and students of color involved in data science, broadly speaking. Um, so I'm happy to talk about either both of those or um, yeah, yeah. So any additional... That-
3: For that second study, what have you found? Has there been like any concrete things that are encouraging more women of color to get involved in STEM?
5: Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, so, so data science is like what factors? Yeah, yeah, sure. Data science is a new field that I would consider in the STEM field. A lot of my background has been in engineering education um, and, and science education and making sure that um, experiences on various campuses um, have are more welcoming and inclusive for students of color in those environments, primarily at the graduate school, but also at the undergraduate level. Um, With regard to data science right now, we're finding that the pathways to entry that are probably gonna be more promising, again, this is early stage research, um, are going to be those courses, those um, areas that are focused on social justice or racialized um, um, justice topics. What that means is um, students of color in particular are motivated by issues that affect them, right? And so there's a lot going on. As we now know, there are a lot of situations that are getting a lot of attention. This happens every, you know, there's always something, right, that grabs the heart and mind. That is inspiring enough to say, okay, maybe I'm not the best math student. Maybe I'm not the best, you know, calculus or whatever. It's not my favorite subject. Um, But you know what? I care enough about this topic that I'm willing to push through and persist um, in a, you know, and get through this particular segment of math that might matter for data science. Yeah.
3: Okay. So are you saying that, like, regardless of what the subject of the social justice-based class is, it that alone is enough to, or not alone, but like that is a major motivating factor for women of color to pursue
5: like a STEM field major anyway? You know, we don't know yet. That's the hypothesis okay. we're testing. Um, and so there's- Okay. to suggest that, that we, our real evidence right now is coming from professional fields um, in graduate education where we're um, looking at the drivers and motivators of um, students who've come out of these disciplines, not just data science, this is STEM broadly, primarily engineering and computer science. My hope is to be able to apply it to data science, Um, but that we're seeing that they are motivated by factors that are different than that of um, their their white peers, right? So same program, same conditions, but what inspires them and what uh, is linking to their activity relates to this justice Um, and racialized justice orientation in particular.
3: So how would those factors differ between people of color and white people?
5: Well, again, we suspect we don't have any real causal whys yet, um, but what we suspect is that it has to do with the personal experiences, right? So one of the things that we know is that students of color are more likely to experience um, racism or microaggression um, you know, explicit or ex- or implicit um, bias in their academic journeys. Because of that, um, this sensitizes them in a way, right, to these experiences, and they're motivated to address them so that others don't have to go through the same, right? So again, this is a strokes. <laughs> don't don't you know? Hold the, again, this is still under investigation, but that's what we're hypothesizing: is that by own experiences. Um, and being attuned to them um, at some point, right? Sometimes you're not aware of them in the moment, but afterwards as you reflect and maybe you connect with others who've talked about their experiences, you find that you've had an experience yourself and that's what motivates you to say, you know what, I'm passionate about this topic, right? And I wanna do more and I wanna help. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay, so yeah, like um, just kind of a little more about that, like since talking to the girls yesterday and like, the, through the experiences we go like at first I really thought it was just me over here like struggling a berry, feeling very just excluded from everything but like after talking to them it was like oh my like we're actually all going through this and I feel like if we're going through it imagine like the other minorities how are they feeling with it and I know they're probably going through the same thing and might be even to a worse level and we kind of just keep thinking like oh it's only just us and but yeah but I just wanted to add a little thought to that
5: yeah, that's an excellent point, and I would say that's a common experience. That, that feeling of isolation is, is not uncommon, particularly at um, PWI or predominantly white institutions. Um,
3: I have a quick question, maybe a little off topic, but Howard is an HBCU, right? Yes, it is. So why
5: did you come to Barry? <laughs>
3: Okay, how did you go from one polar end to the other?
5: Yeah, so okay, so academia or the prof- professoriate um is you know, it's it's kind of like an industry it's it, it's in the industry world, right? So in industry, um you don't always have your you know, maybe you have a particular company that you want to work for, but maybe they don't have openings, right? For your position, right?
3: Okay.
5: Let me f- finish my whole story though. So, um you <laughs> There's lots of ways, right? And so then maybe you're like, okay, well, I can't, or maybe you can't move, right? You can't relocate um, to a particular city where they're hiring. So, you know, maybe Seattle's hiring a bunch, but you don't want to move. You know, your family doesn't want to do that. Um, And so you end up narrowing and narrowing down your scope in terms of something that's feasible. I did not um, get my PhD and immediately go into academia, meaning I didn't become a professor as soon as I graduated with my PhD. I went um, into industry. And where I worked was at a consulting firm, which required a lot of travel. Um, And then I got another job as director of a research and evaluation department at a nonprofit that focused on um, entrepreneurship and and tech entrepreneurship in particular. And I was also traveling quite a bit. Um, My family was unwilling to relocate uh, to this part of the country, which is Western Massachusetts. Um, And, you know, so I was commuting. That was a strain for um, a family with I was I'm a mother of four. And so it was a significant strain. And my husband was um, doing his best, uh, but I was gone a lot of the time. So because of that, um, I decided to settle in Atlanta and not go very far. I said, I'm going to stay put in the Atlanta area. And I'm going to look and see what's available. Now, Barry's actually been on my list of schools. I actually interviewed for for a position at Barry right after I graduated. I did not get it. So I went into industry. and then. But you're here now. (laughs) Right, exactly. So, you know, all in in due time. um, That's a lesson for everyone, right? Your journey does not have to be linear. And in fact, when you talk to most professionals nowadays, most professions are not linear, meaning you don't go and land your dream job right away, right? Or end up in the exact spot that you expect. Right,
3: of course, yeah.
5: Um, so I came back to Barry after um, wanting to stay put, wanting to travel much less. Um, and so I was looking for academic positions. And so there was an opening and um, turns out that I was a good fit. So I, that's, that's why, that's how my journey ended up uh, back at Barry. But coming from an HBCU, um, I'll tell you, you know, I didn't start out at Howard either. So, again, not a linear path. I started out at Duke University. And at Duke, um, again, PWI, um, great academics. Thrilled. Uh, I was really excited about my experience there. Academically, it was quite rigorous. But I had probably some of the most overt, racist experiences there. I, I'm born and raised in Washington, D.C. so. Um, anyone who's from the region it used to be called chocolate city uh you know it was there was no (laughs) right of black people in the in that city and i'm from dc proper so it means i was born in northwest so not the (laughs) birds
3: that's that's so funny the way you talk about dc is the way i talk about atlanta i'm from atlanta proper (laughs) but yeah so that must have been such a culture shock when you got to duke was and was that part of the reason you left
5: Yeah, so exactly. And it wasn't just the culture shock, because I had already gone, um, you know, my high school was predominantly white as well. But I think the Duke climate at the time, there was a lot of protesting that I was a part of. um, And I was pretty much exhausted. And you'll see now, um, I think if you talk to students of color, particularly, um, yeah, a lot of students of color who are, are driven by social justice aims, that they're exhausted, mm-hmm. it's exhausting. Um, if you really yeah. invest and get vested in, emotionally it's straining and that takes a toll on your physical health, which is why I also um, care a lot about the strain, emotional, mental strain that um, broader climate issues have on students of color because I know that it's multi-layered. It's It doesn't stop um, at your, you know, as yeah. soon as you turn off the TV, right? Because you turn off the-
3: Yeah, you can't turn it off and we're students on top of that right I mean I know students on this campus are I mean as you're probably well aware we're still it's an uphill battle fighting the administration trying to get um like just anything done (laughs) anything to support people of color here but um that kind of brings me to my next question for you so Do you want to explain really quick about, actually, I think Sabal's going to explain really quick about uh, this thing Barry has called the culture of belonging, (laughs) which we have mixed feelings about, but
2: Um, anyway. Yeah. So as Jasmine's saying, um, definitely a lot of mixed feelings, and there's going to be a bunch of little questions, so hopefully um, it makes sense. So I know you're on the President Advisory Committee. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about the culture of belonging? I know it's supposed to like focus on improving the experience for students of color at Berry, but what exactly does being on that committee entail? And I think this is kind of one of my favorite questions: Did you choose to join it, or were you just picked because you're a person of color?
5: Yeah. So on the President's Advisory Council, I, you know, I actually was um, walking back from the event with um, Dr. Brown, and he mentioned that he was going to be pulling out of his body of um, faculty, students, and staff to serve as this advisory. Um, And he said, look, you know, I know that you're super busy and I know that you're a professor and, you know, that this uh, is basically maybe the best use of your time, you know, quote unquote, because again, as assistant professors, your task is to publish and teach well, right? Um, So um, if you, you can add a lot to your plate, which falls under the category of service that can um, potentially impact your tenure uh, process. So um, in recognizing that, right, in knowing that I'm an assistant professor and my priorities are primarily focused on those two things, um, he he did advise me, like, look, I'm pulling this together, but <laughs> you know, would you, you know, what do you think? And I actually told him that I would be offended if I wasn't selected. <laughs> um, As you should be. Yeah. My story is unique, I guess, in that way. Um, so no, I wasn't um, I didn't feel pressure, you know, to to join in any way. I I actually could have probably spent more time thinking about it, but in the moment, I felt that was my my reaction, and it's because i read, you know, I study these topics, and so um, I was very interested in bringing a um, evidence based lens to the discussion. Um, so so far so good. I've been pleased with that. Um, I I know you had other questions. Um, I think one. Pertaining to, can you articulate that question again and about the, the committee itself?
2: Are you referring to like the purpose of the
5: committee? Okay, sure, sure. So okay. sure. <laughs> so the purpose of the committee, there's, there's, if you believe it or not, it's almost like a network style structure. So there's this, um, I'm not going to know the exact number, but probably about 16 or so individuals who are part of the President's Advisory Council. And it consists of students, staff, and faculty in equal number. Um, and from there, there are these subcommittees. And so there's so many subcommittees around campus doing this work and uh, doing work related to diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, and those are kind of the three the three phrases, the three words that you hear a lot. Um, one of the things that's been important um, for the President's Advisory Council and the, um, the subcommittees has been, um, one of the subcommittees in particular has been standing up a website That articulates Barry's anti racist, um, um, inclusive um, commitment, right? Commitment to inclusion and commitment to um, making sure that marginalized students feel welcome and safe on campus. Um,
3: So, yeah. I have a question about that. So, I love the idea of being articulate in our goals and in our like what the school is supposed to represent. But how do you feel in terms of like concrete things that have been done to, like that are not just saving face, that are not just like a, a facade for the public to think that Barry's anti-racist?
5: Yeah, this is good. And and let me be clear, you know, by no means do I speak for everyone on the council, nor do I speak for the president. Um, right, of course. Yeah, But I will say um, that because and and I've been probably the most valuable part of the committee because we've had students, um, student activists, in fact, who are a part of the um, committee. They have done an excellent job making sure that the president and um, faculty, you know, in in all, ultimately, um, you know, we're beholden to the students. You know, faculty are here to educate students. The administration is here all because. Um, are here. Otherwise, we would have no purpose, right? <laughs> um, so that's a powerful position to be in. And some of the concrete, just the concrete measures. One um, thing that we've been focused on quite heavily recently has been a very clear, transparent, and um, easy process for students or or others to voice um, concerns right? If there's an issue that's taking place in the classroom, if there's an issue that's taken place outside the classroom, right? Anywhere on campus, if there's been um, an explicit act of, of racial um, aggression or um, it's something inappropriate, you can share it. And making that clear, the website is also a way to do that. Um, we've done a lot of work um, crosswalking, comparing our site, not just our site, our curriculum, our everything. We've been doing a lot of work comparing to other um, peer and aspirin institutions and Barry's way behind Barry's way oh behind. yes and so because that's compelling um and I want to shout out um Noah and Julia um and Alex as well Hell yes. but they <laughs>
3: forefront of this movement here on, at Barry say again for sure oh those two are at the forefront of the movement here at Barry that's
5: yes nice. and because
3: we love them
5: yes and because we do. They've been so vocal. They've done a great job saying, look, if you just look at, you know, some you name another institution, their website is clear. Right. And just in terms of recruitment from recruitment standpoint, because Barry does want to get more students of color and, um, and increase the diversity on campus. But you can't do that if you're not projecting that there's a lot of effort going on. There's a lot of change happening and it's not um, the same institution it was X hundred years ago. you know.
3: So one concern I have in terms of change on campus, um, I like that you said that faculty and staff are here to support the students and like are here to like be there for them, but at the end of the day students are transient and we're only here for four years and so I think a lot of the responsibility actually ends up falling onto faculty and staff to like hold the higher-ups accountable and like making sure that they're not just doing it for a couple of years and then the, like, like, I mean, Noah and Julia are good examples. Like they're graduating within the next year. Pretty sure Noah's graduating early and Julia's on her way out now. But like, who is it gonna be when they're gone? I feel like there needs to be a, um, like, I feel like the faculty need to, I don't know, I don't know. I feel like they need to step up a bit. No offense, love what you're doing. Don't get me
5: wrong, but. Absolutely right. And, and I'll say, um, because there are lots of things that I could highlight, let me just highlight this. Um, so the provost came and spoke to our committee the other week and has really set down some very concrete hiring practices to ensure that there's a diverse pool, demographically diverse pool, um, any new faculty um, and staff hires. Um, she, pro- I'm sure she can give you a lot more detail, but one of the things that I also am championing is, yes, we need more um, faculty of color on campus, period, just period. Full stop, yes. yes. I was the I, I think I'm, I might still be the only black female f- tenure track faculty um, at Barry. Um, when I tell colleagues that their jaws their jaw drops. They don't understand, you know how that's possible, but um, you know, at other institutions. So we definitely need more. Uh, the other thing is getting faculty um, and and I'm picking on faculty a little bit because that's my lane, but faculty who actually study, Diversity, equity, inclusions topics. Faculty that study um, racial justice, social justice. Get faculty that study these topics so that they can be more informed contributors to this this next phase of 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 Barry. Is how I'm fra- I think about it. Um, so that we can teach the courses, we can um, have the CE credits, we can have the dialogue in ways that are helping to bring Barry into what the world is like. Right, because when you graduate from as they call it, right, we call it the Barry bubble graduate and you have to go into the melting pot, um, you should not be shock, in shock and awe of what you see, right? Our job is to prepare you for the reality of what's out there. And the reality is um, much more diverse and unfortunately, you know, much messier and um, for unfortunate or fortunate, right? Um, there's pros and cons. Um, so, so we have to prepare you well. So that's another encouraging path, right? Hiring.
3: Yeah. What are your thoughts on um, hiring people of color into a into an organization, into a uh, like, I don't know, institution that is predominantly white and now they're just stuck there again, like feeling the burden of being the token person of color. Like, how do we go around that and like motivate people of color to come to this school when it's as white as it is, I guess,
5: oh. is what I'm trying to say community. That's the only way. You have to find, you have to create community. So, um, you know, student organizations. So again, when I was at Duke, I was a part of, gosh, dance. I was a part of Dance Black. That's when I I was a dancer. Um, part <laughs> uh the Black Student uh, Union. I was a, yeah, I mean, there, we had fraternities, you know, and sororities on campus as well, Black fraternities and sororities on campus. And so um, I would align myself with them. I didn't pledge, but I aligned. You have to community. Um, and so this is this is critical, and is also something that we want to make sure um, those organizations are supported, right? So that they can continue to provide the services, the the means, and um, and networks of support um, for students to take advantage of. So that's critical. I mean, there's no I I know I don't know of other ways, but I know that that's one way. Um, that's one way that you can do it, um, and from the top down support for those organizations. Yeah.
4: Dr. White, thank you for taking the time to answer our questions. Sure. We really appreciate that. Sure. And thank you guys for tuning in to the Bursting the Bubble podcast. We hope this helped you a lot and you're well educated. Have a great day. Goodbye.